This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. In the 1964 Olympics, they were running a race called uh, the 10,000 meters. For those of you who are not familiar with meters, that's a little over six miles. The man who won it was an American, his name was Billy Mills. And when Billy crossed the finish line, there was a runner who was from Sri Lanka who was running, and I won't even try to pronounce his name, I will butcher it, but he was a mile behind, four laps behind, but he kept running. In fact, the crowd in Tokyo at first was laughing at him because the race was so far from being, it's so far from over, and he just, he kept running, and they were heckling him, but he kept running. And when they finally figured out that he is absolutely going to finish this race, he began to hear scattered applause. And the applause began to grow and grow. And finally, when he completed the 10,000 meters, there was a roar from the crowd as they appreciated his perseverance, as they appreciated the fact that he kept running even when the odds were all stacked against him. You know, there is something in us that appreciates that, something in us that appreciates that, that fighting spirit that does not give up. We're doing a series called The Resistance. And this morning, I, I want to talk about FaceTiming what's facing you. You see, it's not just what we're facing and all these situations that we're facing it, but it's actually how we're facing it. How are we dealing with the challenges that we're facing? One of the ways that, uh, that you see a lot of is anger and outrage. It seems like if you're not outraged, no one listens to you anymore. People can't just have an opinion. They have to be outraged about it. And as I was thinking about that, I enjoyed talk this morning when she was talking about reading the headlines and seeing things and starting to get angry. And I, we, I think we've all experienced some of that. But, you know, we have just so much time and energy in a day. And being angry and outraged, really, of, over things we can't control is wasting our time. I think one of the things that, that people are outraged about or angry about is, is wearing a mask. Believe me, I've heard it. I, I've, I've only met one person. I actually met someone the other day who said that wearing a mask had been a blessing to her. She's the only one. And she evidently has severe asthma. And she said that wearing a mask has helped her during this season. In fact, she said when it's, this is all over, she's going to continue to wear a mask. She is in the vast minority. For the rest of us, it has been a royal pain in the face. And no one likes doing it. And I get that. But you know, it's, it's interesting that the outrage that we're seeing, and, and even among Christians, the outrage of, I don't want to have to wear a mask when we announced that we're coming back next week in a phase one. We said masks are going to be required, and people, some people are angry at that. And, and listen, here, here's my thing about that. I've had, the, I've had the virus. I've recovered from the virus. I'm grateful to God for that. I'm not contagious, and I'm not going to get it. So if anyone could probably go without a mask, it would be me. But I don't wear a mask for that reason. You know who I wear a mask for? I wear a mask for that little single mom who's scared to death of getting this virus. Because if she goes down, who's going to take care of those kids? Who's going to provide for them? I wear a mask for people like my sister who struggled with respiratory challenges. And if they get the virus, it hurts them. I wear a mask for that couple that you pass in the grocery store. They're elderly. They're older. They're concerned. I wear a mask for them. And you know, really what we're talking about here is Christianity 101. It's not just about us. 
at Philippians, Paul wrote the church and he said something just very basic. He said, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. We're not wearing masks for ourselves. We're wearing masks for other people because it, it shows them that we care. Anger and outrage is one of the reasons, one of the ways that people deal with things. Here's another one. There are people who have godly values, but they're not confident that God's going to help them at this time. And that can lead to frustration, and that can lead to depression. When I was in Bible school, this was 38, sometimes years ago, um, we had, Joy and I had almost a perfect storm hit our family just personally. Joy lost her job. We were both working. Uh, Joy lost her job. And we got the news that we were going to have a baby, a surprise baby, Matthew. He was a surprise. He's continued to be a surprise, but it's a, it's a good one. Then we had a situation where I changed jobs. And in Tulsa, Oklahoma, during the middle of the summer, I changed jobs and started selling insurance door to door. Now, selling door to door is not easy, and selling insurance door to door is even harder. And so all of a sudden, we had no money coming in. So baby coming, Joy lost her job, no money coming in. And even though I was a Bible school student, I just wasn't confident that God could help me in this. And it caused me to go to sleep. I slept and slept and slept. And Joy finally looked at me one day. She said, you, you sleep way too much. And let's go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, and he, he looked at me for a while. He just said, you're depressed. Well, I wasn't supposed to be depressed. I was a Bible school student. But... I, had, I wasn't confident. I didn't, I didn't really believe that God could help me. And that caused some frustration. But you know there's a better way? There's a better way to face the challenges that we're facing at this day, and that's to face it as the people of God, people who have a confidence that God loves them, God cares about them, that God's going to help them. If we're going to face the challenges and the problems of this age that we're living in and the coming age, we've got to be ready to face them, but we got to face them knowing that we're with God in this, that he's going to help us. And that makes all the difference in the world. There's a great story in, in, the, in the Old Testament of a, a young man who had a lot of confidence that God would help him. And he developed a plan of action for facing the enemy. Israel was in trouble. Saul was their king at that time. And the Philistines had invaded the land. Now, when the Philistines, they were the mortal enemy of Israel, they came in. And, and it caused Israel, a couple of things happened. One is you had people who were Israelites who actually joined the Philistines. They were obviously people who kind of went wherever the, the wind blew. And they joined the Philistines. And then you had people who were, they weren't joining, but they were hiding. They were in caves and holes and hiding away from the Philistines. Saul was not attacking this army. So it was a, a, a total stalemate. And in the middle of this, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, who was really, from a, from a purely legal standpoint, was the rightful heir to the throne. But Jonathan, who was a, just a fine individual himself, he got a plan in his heart. Let's take a look at this. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, 
wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hands and this will be a sign to us. Now, this is really good. I like this. Jonathan was not content just to sit and wait. He said, Let, let's, let's go deal with this. He said, let's go show ourselves to the garrison. There were, evidently, there was a, an outpost, a group of the Philistine warriors there. And uh, I like how Jonathan positioned himself towards this problem. Listen to how he talked towards the problem. He didn't say, man, there's some awesome warriors there. Let's go face them. He said, let's go to this garrison of the uncircumcised. Now, that's not a slang term for people that the Israelites didn't care about. It was an indicator that Jonathan was acknowledging these people did not have God in their life. The uncircumcised meant they had no covenant with God and that he had a covenant with God. He had a relationship with God. So he positioned himself in the problem and this problem is not bigger than I am because I've got God. And, and then his, his perspective of God was really good. It was really big. He said this, he said, you know, he said, the Lord, it doesn't take a lot for the Lord. He can save by many or by few. In other words, he's saying God's unlimited and God could save. And here's another one. And God will do something for us. God will actively get involved with us in our life. And boy, that's key. Because here he is talking about facing. He's already outnumbered. He's talking about facing these men. But his perspective is, I got God. And God's good. And God can do some amazing things. And he will do some amazing things. So we'll see what happens next. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and they said, come up to us and we'll show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hands of Israel. So Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a half an acre of land. So Jonathan, Jonathan had a, a plan that hit his heart, and then Jonathan acted on it. He went and showed himself to, to, the, to that garrison of the Philistines. So he showed up in front of them. Now, when they said, come up to us, here's where you see Jonathan, and here's where you see his faith, and here's where you see how he faced this problem. He told his armor bearer, he said, come on up. He said, because the Lord has delivered them into our hands. So Jonathan began to talk winning before he ever saw winning. He talked, God's given us victory before he ever fought anybody at all. And so you, you, see, you see his perspective, his perspective towards the problem, his perspective towards God. And now Jonathan's like, come on, we got this. And it's a, it's a victorious perspective. And he wasn't just talking. He went. He acted on what he had believed in his heart. This is what Jonathan believed. Man, he acted and he crawled up on his hands and knees. So this, this was not the, the Philistine Garrett. They had the high ground. You would think they could win. And the Bible said they killed 20 men within a half an acre of land. Now listen, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not carrying semi-automatics. They had to use swords. It was a sword fight. You don't see two beat 20 unless it's the movies, like Kung Fu movies and stuff. But 
Here, here you, got, you got two guys killed 20, which is an indication that God worked with them. They acted, God helped them, empowered them. And what Jonathan said was true. It, it doesn't take a lot for God to do something really big. Now, the beautiful thing about this one little battle with 20 Philistines is that it had a ripple effect. Saul and his men heard about it. Saul gathered the army. They began to go after the Philistines. And so it caused Saul to have some action, but it also caused something else. It caused a lot of the men who had been siding with the Philistines to change. And they actually switched back over to Israel and some of the men came out of their hiding. And so there was some momentum there and everyone got involved and God created a big win for Israel that day because Jonathan was willing to face a problem, was willing to face up and deal with it. FaceTiming what's facing you. Now here's a good question. When it comes to where you are in the problems and challenges that you face, and by the way, all of us face them. So when it comes to where you are, how are you facing? Where, where are you positioned? Are you siding with the problem? So what do you mean by that, Alan? I mean, are you agreeing with it? You know, I've heard people say, and I understand where they've got this. It's been in their family. You hear people say, well, you know, we, we've had mental illness, mental illness in our family for years. I guess I'm, I'm just going to have mental illness. You know, we've had, we've had this kind of sickness and disease in our family. I probably won't live past 65. You hear people say things like this. You know, I just, you know, I've been depressed for years. I'm going to stay. Listen, what you don't want to do with your problems is agree with it. You want to begin to shift out of that. And whatever you're facing, it doesn't have to be the last word. Because God can have the last word in there. So you don't, you don't want to agree with your problem. Here's the, here's the second thing. A lot of times we have a tendency to simply hide from our problems. In other words, we just, we just act like it's going to go away by itself. You know, and sometimes they do. But you know, some of those hard problems that have been in your life for years, they're not going away by themselves. And so we can't hide from them and just hope they go away, pray they go away. But there's another way. And that we can absolutely begin to face our problems. We begin to face the situation that we're honest with ourselves. That we face the situation and we say, you know what? Okay, here's the situation. I'm going to face it. I'm going to deal with it. Now listen, that requires courage. But it's the first step towards a solution. And remember, we're not alone. But you, you got to be willing to face it. God won't face it for you. He'll help you. But you have to face the challenges and the problems that you're dealing with. And all of us are. I was reminded that I used to give parenting tips. So let me give a, let me give a parenting tip right here on this one for you parents. You're raising kids. Your kids are still in your home. I think as parents sometimes one of our challenges is we want to shield and protect our children from problems. And I think that's age appropriate. I think that makes sense. If you don't need to sit down with your four-year-old and tell them about the financial problems you're dealing with and how you have marital problems and it's your spouse's fault. You don't want to go into that. But the idea is that life is going to have problems. 
And so we don't want to shield our kids from problems until they, until they leave our home and then all of a sudden they're, they're just overwhelmed with them. This is a wonderful time to teach them how to face the problem, how to deal with the problem, how to lean into a problem instead of running away from it and that God will help them. This is a great time as a parent. Don't, don't protect them from every challenge and problem. Help them grow strong by helping them face it. So what's a plan of action? How do we face our problems? Sometimes people say, Alan, I have no idea what to do. I just don't know what to do. So let me give you some things that you can do. And, and this plan, regardless of what you're facing, this plan will work. Here's the first one. Pray about it. Just sincerely ask God. We need his wisdom and his ideas. In Proverbs, the third chapter, verse five, it said, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. We acknowledge he directs. So we acknowledge him in all our ways. This is a great time. The problems, listen, he's not going to be intimidated by your problems. When God hears about your problems, he's not going to go, oh, that's huge. He's not doing that. He has wisdom. He has answers. So pray about it. Second thing would be this. Begin to proclaim, which means to affirm, to declare, to, to make a proclamation. Begin to proclaim good things about God. Now this is tied into what we believe about him. Begin to proclaim good things about him. What are you saying about God and his ability to help you? Remember Jonathan said, hey, the Lord can save. It doesn't take a lot. He can save with a few. He can save with many. God, he can do big things. What's he saying? He's affirming. He's saying what he believes. And that's a, that's a powerful thing to do. I sense even in my own heart, in my own life, as I've looked at my own life, I was reading the Psalms the other day, and I realized one of the keys of David, David was victorious in so many situations, but if you listen to David talk under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David constantly talked about who God was to him. He said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. These weren't written so we could look and go, woo, that's amazing. These were written so we can begin to take these words, and just like Joyce said, take these words and put them into our mouths about who God is to us. Now, as I'm talking about this, some of you may be going, you know, Alan, that's a, that's a little extreme. Yeah, I, I really don't know if I want to be that extreme. I, I'm really starting to wonder, guys, if the Christianity that got us to this place, if our level of Christianity is the level of Christianity that's going to get us to the next. And it might be time to raise our commitment level. Because when we raise our commitment level, what we're willing to do for God, it raises our connection level to God. I was thinking about, uh, I read some articles recently about uh, some actors and some of the commitment levels they had. There are two that stood out to me. One was Anthony Hopkins, who's an outstanding actor. But I found out that Anthony Hopkins, when he gets a script before he ever starts filming, he'll read that script anywhere from 150 to 200 times. The whole script. He's got everyone's lines memorized. He, he's immersing himself in that script. So he's able to project that. And then probably the master of it at all is Daniel Day-Lewis. He's retired now. He won three Oscars for best actor. He's a method actor. They, they, they called some of his methods extreme. In fact, one movie that he won a, a, an Oscar for, he, he played a disabled man who could only use his left foot. Uh, I believe it was an artist. 
And the entire time they were filming, he refused to come out of character. He made the crew carry him around. They spoon-fed him because he wanted to relate to this individual that he was portraying on the screen. Listen, if these guys can do that for a movie, how much more can we do that for our God and we can connect with him and has eternal value, make all the difference in the world? What are you saying about God? Here's one of my favorite things to say. It's probably a verse you hear me share as much as anyone. It's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. That's one of the greatest things you can say. If you don't know anywhere to start, start right there. I can boldly say with courage, say the Lord's my helper. I'm not going to fear what can man do to me. Man, that's a great place to start. Proclaim about God. Here's another one. Proclaim about the problem. I looked at Jordan. Now listen, proclaiming about the problem is not the same thing as complaining and magnifying the problem. Very different. What are you proclaiming about the problem? Are we, are we proclaiming that God has solutions and are we calling it a win before we actually see a victory? In other words, this will not beat us. We're coming out of this. God's helping us. He's giving us victory. You say, well, Alan, wouldn't that be lying? No, that's not lying. This is Christian life here, guys. This is what the Bible calls walking by faith, not by sight. We see the problem. The problem's in our face. We don't want to continue to say problem, problem, problem. We want to talk solution to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by what we believe. And so our words, as we're talking about the problem, I told Joy the other day, confession. Here we have confessions of a preacher. Confessions. I told Joy today, I said, we've complained too much about what's going on. I mean, we talk too much. We're just <gasps> outraged. Joy talked about reading the newspaper. We read the headlines. We're talking. I, I said, we've complained too much. We need to start talking that in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this challenge, in the middle of what our nation is facing, God has answers and we're going to reach more people than we've ever reached before. We need to start talking solution. You say, well, it's just words. Do you know that words were credited with helping to win a war? In World War II, Winston Churchill became the prime minister of England on the day that Germany invaded France. It was some of the darkest times. Germany also invaded England. But Churchill knew the power of words, and Churchill would, he would speak to the people. One of his speeches, I, I just want you to hear his words on this. One of his speeches was powerful. He told, it was right about the time of the Battle of Britain. And he said, and this is part of it, he said, we shall not flag or fail. That word flag means to droop. To, he said, we, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Man, you got to love that. I mean, that's, that ought to be us as believers. We're not giving in. We'll fight through a pandemic. We'll fight through whatever the government comes up with. We'll fight through whichever the way society turns because we've got people to reach and we're going to fight our way through. We can fight our way through these problems because we're not alone. We can face them and our words can be strong. Winston Churchill was one of the greatest wartime leaders we've ever known. We're in a difficult time. We're in a time of resistance. It's time we change strategies. So we've got 
pray, we've got proclaim about God, about the problem. Praise is always appropriate. Praising God, never go wrong there. The Lord's never going to look at you and go, you know, you praise me way too much. That's not going to happen. So praise is always appropriate. And then here's another one. Take positive action is in your problems, things that you're dealing with. Is there something you can do? Is there some step you can make? And the beautiful thing about taking positive action is that it, it, it's, it's, it's good for you. It, it's a great way to, to resist the fear that tries to paralyze us. Maybe it's, it's redo your resume. Maybe it's make some phone calls. Maybe it's make an appointment to go see that person. But you can take some positive action. You say, well, there's nothing I can do. Go back to the beginning, pray, proclaim, praise. You can always do that. It's a plan that helps us face the problems that we're facing. You face them, I face them, we all face them. But the beautiful thing about it is, you know, just like Jonathan, his victory created a ripple effect. Do you realize that your victory can create a ripple effect as well? Do you know that just by facing problems, the courage it takes to do that, it can lift the environment of your home? Because there's something within us that responds when we resist instead of giving in. And it'll energize you. It will absolutely bless your life because you feel like, hey, praise God. With God, I'm doing something here. In 2012, they ran the London Marathon on a beautiful spring day. Two ladies were running it. One was named Simone Clark. The other one was her friend, Tally Hall. Now, the winner was a Kenyan. He, he won that 26-mile race in two hours and like four minutes. It's amazing. Uh, Simone and Tally ran it in six and a half hours. You don't think that's so amazing, but the story behind it is amazing. See, Simone Clark has epilepsy, and she would have four seizures a day on a regular day. And so she had to have someone who would train with her, and her friend Tally Hall agreed to train with her. So as they started off, they were doing great. Eight miles in, they're doing wonderful. And she had had, Simone had had a stomach trouble, and they think that kicked off a seizure. When she had the seizure, she stopped. She fell to the ground. She was unconscious for 30 seconds. And then she got up and began to run again. And Tally Hall ran with her. In the next 18 miles, she had 19 seizures. And every time she had a seizure, she would fall to the ground. Tally Hall would, would, would see the seizure coming, would lower her to the ground, kind of protect her from the other runners and protect her until she regained consciousness. And then she would get up and go again. She said, Tally said that uh, Simone was crying and Simone was saying, I, I, she's just so upset. She was having so many seizures. They'd thrown them so far off their pace. But she said, you know, I come this far, I'm just going to do it. And she finished. And as, as she finished, she said, really, it was a victory. Well, it is a victory of sorts because there's a whole lot of people that ran. I'm telling you about her story because of her willingness to resist. But it makes me think, thank God we're not running this race alone. And sometimes we stop and fall to the ground, but thank God we've got a helper. We've got the Lord. We've got the Holy Spirit who is running with us and we are not on our own and we can continue to run this race and he will continue to strengthen us. He can't run it for us, but he can help us run. And that can make all the difference in the world as you face what's facing you. This morning, if you're watching or maybe you're watching in the evening, whatever time you're watching, if you can honestly say in your heart, you know, I don't know that I know the Lord. 
I don't know that I have a relationship with him, but I want to be sure. Or maybe you're like I was. I'd had a relationship with the Lord. I fell far, far away. But I knew in my heart I wanted to come back. If either one of those situations applies to you, we're going to say a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're by yourself, you can pray it out loud. If you're with others, you can pray it quietly to yourself. But listen, as, as, as you're there, you, you can, boy, you, you can connect with the one who can help you through life, who's got a plan for you, a purpose for you, who can make all the difference, not just in this life, but the one to come. We're going to say that prayer, and, and after you say it, you can text us at 313131. Text the word end. Let us know you prayed. Because after you, after you pray, we want to pray for you. We do it every week. We want to pray for you. You can click that you raised your hand. So during these next few moments, and this is a good time to face the fact that maybe you're not right with the Lord, but you want to be. So we're going to pray this prayer. I'll lead you in it. You can pray it after me. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now let me pray just a, just a moment for those of you, and, I, and by the way, I'm so glad that you did that. I want to pray for those who've already made that decision, who already know the Lord, and they're having a tough time resisting. Father, thank you for your life, your words, your strength, your spirit, the ability that we have to face the problems because they're not bigger than you, and you can help us. And you will. So we thank you for that confidence in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed, let us know. For those of you who you want to contact us, you can always contact us. We're still praying, guys. We're still having church. And next week, we'll start phase one reopening. Let me bless you before we go. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. We love you. We're praying for you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.